In the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Holy Week obviously is uh, an intense time, and I feel I feel badly and happy when there's a lot of people that come during Holy Week. Because sometimes people come only just time of year, and then you hear some of the readings that are a lot on the stricter side, um, and a lot of readings that we don't read much throughout the year uh, from from within the liturgy. But it's an important time of year. Um, and it's an important time to review because it's, we're talking about some of the heavy things, but they're the things that caused this week. So there's a reason why this is the week that we do. So as we, as we went through the readings yesterday, the main focus, I kind of want to go through, to go through the readings, this, this story, the story of the relationship that's happening between us and God, um, the things that caused this week to happen, um, but to reflect also on our relationship with him. And yesterday the focus was mostly on if I'm in a relationship with him, do I even know him? Right? When he kept on asking, who do you say that I am? Right? Was the, the focus yesterday. Who, who am I? If you're in a relationship with me, what do you know about me? But today has a different focus. And as we're traveling through this story between our lover the Lord and his bride, us, um, we're going through the story of our relationship with him. And we're, we're reading through and witnessing the back and forth between God and his people, God and us, God and our own soul, right? This is something that's the theme of all. Anything that you're hearing said about Israel also apply to you, right? When you're, when you're reading throughout this week. And hopefully reflect on whether or not you're being a faithful bride, whether male or female, we're all the Bride of Christ. If you don't have any experience with someone, right, you won't know how to interpret that person, right? If you don't, if you don't know something about somebody, you don't know how to react to what they say, what they do, what they don't do. You won't know the meanings of it. So today I want to meditate with you on the readings and how they teach us what they're telling us about this tension in our relationship with God and what kind of things that go wrong in it from our side. Um, and it's normal that people have relationship issues um, because people aren't perfect, right? It's normal that we're, we're going to have issues. But I'm not sure that we always think about what we're doing from our end, right? Or how God views it. And you'll probably have noticed in the readings um, that the Lord sounds very upset um, in many of the readings that we read today and yesterday, and I'll read tomorrow. Um, and I think if we meditate a little bit on the readings, we'll understand why. But to go through it, I just want to give like a framing analogy um, to, to view some of these concepts through. Because if they're just taken as randomly, it just sounds like somebody's upset. And it's like, the Right? But to have this analogy to understand. So let's suppose that two people are in love. And a man deeply loves a particular woman. And let's say that this woman was very vulnerable, very dependent. She had no money. She had no riches. She had no fame. She had no honor. She didn't have anything that people socially value in terms of 
of our culture, what makes somebody like a, a catch, if you will. All right? That this person is not a catch by whatever is your definition of, of being a catch. Let's say she wasn't even beautiful. She's practically homeless. And in comes this groom who just loves her as she is. Right? He just loves her as she is. And he showers her with sincere praise. It's sincere. He genuinely actually thinks the world of her. And he finds her to be the most beautiful woman, woman in all of history. And he lavishes her with gifts. He woos her. He romances her. He weds her, buys her a house, furnishes it with the most lavish things, and crowns her essentially as queen of her home. The question is, is it weird if the husband hopes that the love is reciprocated? Is it weird that the husband expected that when two people get married, that they would show one another love, that it's not one way? Affection, respect. Let's say the wife starts ignoring him, just living in the house but not giving him the time of day. Let's go further and say she has her social media profiles up, and puts up all these pictures online like she's the luckiest wife in the world but actually couldn't care less about her husband, right? Just keep the image going, right, on the social media. And let's say she even starts to cheat on him. And imagine if she betrays him in their own home. When people on the outside start to notice something's funny, right? Hey, things don't look great over there the Joneses, something seems off. She replies, no, 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 we're all good. Everything's, everything's just fine, right? Every marriage needs a little bit of strife, right? Like that's, you know, that's how you keep things going, these cliche lines, right? This is what one of the prophecies meant by saying, woe to you who call good evil and evil good. Woe to you who say, it doesn't matter anyway, nothing will happen. This is what it looks like in real life, not when it's just read as a, as a line in a passage. And let's say that a husband is so forgiving, and so she starts to take advantage of that aspect and be confident that since he's a nice guy, he'll be okay with it. And even if he's not, he'll forgive me anyway. Now let's say she starts to betray her husband and uses the gifts he gave her, she uses the gifts that he gave her as gift to other people. And other people that she's betraying him with, right? Not just randomly regifting, but even using it as a way to woo other people. Wouldn't that be offensive? But this woman, she doesn't even have anything real to complain about. She's not able to say her husband was mean, that he's controlling, that he's selfish, that he's aggressive. She can't claim that he wasn't there for her when she needed him. There's nothing that she wanted or needed that he didn't come through for her, and yet she's unsatisfied. She cheats again and again and again. How should the husband feel? He begs her to return. He struggles. He argues. He cuddles. He hugs. He yells. He begs. He does everything asking for his wife to be his again, but she keeps staying in the house, using his stuff, claiming to be married, but being entirely unfaithful. 
what are his rights? And this is the tone. So I want this to be the backdrop. This is the tone through which to understand the mood, why he's talking that way in scripture. Because we jump in and just like, why is he so angry? What's going on? If you went through all of that, would you not raise your voice? Right? Would you not would you not say there's something there's something wrong here? <laughs> right? This is the tone that our Lord uses our groom. When we read earlier tonight, when he says in the first hour that we read, you know, his son honors his father and a servant his master. I get neither. Right? If you view me as a dad, right? Treat me like one, right? At least treat me like one. But if you don't, you want to view me as a master, view me as a tyrant, act like you're afraid of me. You can't even do that. You won't even give me the dignity of pretending that I'm a good tyrant, right? That's what he's saying, that, that, that hurts, right? He's saying this is, this is where it is. If I'm your dad or your master, however you view me, where is the honor or respect of those? But we don't get it because we're usually whining. We're the ones who, in that same passage, are the ones that when he says, I have loved you, right? When he starts out that passage, and he says, and then you guys answer back saying, how have you loved me? Right? We answer back with that same incredulity of shockingly, really? How have you shown me love? And he responds saying, in the first hour, I chose you. I voluntarily chose you. What do you, what do you mean? I could have chosen your brother, right? In, the, in that prophecy, I could have chosen Esau. I didn't. I chose Jacob, right? I chose you as my bride. I could have chosen another people. I chose you. What do you mean, where have I loved you? What, what about all this stuff that happened, <laughs> right? This is, this is the tone with which he's, he's coming. I chose you. But let's look at some things that get us to that place in our relationship with God. What are the things that cause our relationship to get to this point that we're reading about? It actually starts with temptation. I know that sounds unrelated, but we'll, we'll, we'll connect them. This morning we talked about the creation of man, and we'll come back to that too. But first, let's look at, at the temptation that happened. Right? How many of us have had the thought, if I have everything that I need, I'm not going to do anything wrong? Right? There'd be no reason. Right? Many of us think that, but clearly that's not reality um, because we manage, even when we have everything, to do a lot of wrong. Right? But if we go back to the story of this morning, Adam and Eve are in the garden. They don't need anything. Right? They're, they're in bliss. They literally don't need a thing. And Adam and Eve were in this relationship with God where they had everything. They felt joyful. Nothing was bothering them. And here's how the, temp, the, how the temptation worked. The devil came to them and created created an issue, right? They didn't have an issue. He manufactured one for them. And he just asked a simple question. How come? How come there's a food restriction? Right? That's literally all he asked. He starts the conversation just saying, how come there's a restriction on that tree? Right? Why are you guys not allowed to eat whatever you want? And Eve starts off really confidently right, which we do a lot of the time, she knows her stuff, I'm ready, bring it on, I have the answers, right, and she, she says, actually, 
you're wrong. We're allowed to eat pretty much anything. We're just not allowed to eat that one. So it's, it's actually not that bad. She's negotiated, right? She's entered the conversation with the salesman, right? And that's all the devil wanted. Give me an in, right? That's why most people, if you get the phone call, they hang up right away. Otherwise, you're going to spend, right? If they come to the door, you're going to spend. Once you've negotiated, forgot about this tradition. <laughs> At least we're inside this year. So he says, she's negotiated. And he answers, she's like, and if we eat from that, um, it, it gets us killed. And I, I want to emphasize that the Lord didn't say the day you eat from it, I will kill you. Right? He said the day you eat of it, you will, you will die. He's told them this is what happens when you do it the same way that if you tell your kid, put your finger in this socket, you get electrocuted. It's just a fact. Right? That's, that's what's being declared. And the devil answers, because now we're in negotiations. No, you won't. No, you won't. What's really going to happen is that your eyes will be open and you would be like God's. You'll know stuff. Right? Apparently God doesn't want you to know stuff, right? Which is a really incredulous accusation to make, right? Given the whole scenario that they're in, but we won't dwell on that tonight. He pitched the idea, right? The temptation starts with a glance or a thought. And the source can be the devil like it was in this story, but it can also be natural and it can also be ourselves, right? It doesn't always need an outside tempter to make us have these thoughts. This source can be the devil and not to ourselves, but it starts lightly. She considers the idea, and then, now that she's thought of the idea, she saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasing for the eyes to look at it, and it was beautiful to contemplate it. That's it. It just looked good. That's all it was at the end of the day. Right? It wasn't a compelling argument. Right? It doesn't say, and she considered those words and thought, hey, I'd like to know. Right? It was, that looks really good. Right? And if, and, if, and if this is the case, why not? The risk, think about this, the risk of possible death, she just said it. She didn't, it's not like she didn't know. She just said, I could die. Right? And she was like, nah, I'll take it. It doesn't matter. This looks good. Right? That was all that it took for her. And that's where the beginning of woes come from. The woman from our framing story was madly in love with the groom initially, right? Initially, she really, really loved the groom. But once she considered something else, liked something else, she had no regard for the husband anymore. It's when her eyes went somewhere else, whether the eyes of, her, of the mind, the eyes, the actual eyes, it was, I'm not, I'm not with you anymore. I'm physically with you, but I'm... I'm not with you anymore. Just like Eve had no regard, regard for God, or even apparently for her own life, when she ate and then fed her husband. And nobody thinks, no, none of us think, I mean, we're all Eve. This is, this is not about man and woman. Nobody thinks that they're going to do something crazy. Right? None of us start off thinking we're going to do something crazy. We just do it because we don't have a strong will, and because we tend to value ourselves over others, right? We choose me over whatever else is going around. But this is the beginning 
of the relationship going wrong. Once one member of the relationship has stopped valuing the other, revering the other, respecting the other, everything becomes optional. Think about whenever you've devoted yourself to some kind of habit or exercise um, or way of life, whether it was to lose weight or whether it was stopping a bad habit that you have. You probably felt good when it was going well, right? You probably enjoyed the consequences of it, right? Let's say you had that, I'm going to lose 20 pounds, and you suddenly go to the gym, and you're counting your calories, and it's all going well, and you're happy about it. When does it all go wrong? The day you negotiate. The day where you say, maybe not today. And then suddenly, it's in the realm of optional. And once we're in the realm of optional, we often don't choose well, right? We often choose whatever is convenient or, or the thing that I want the most. And the problem is that we don't stop there. The readings tell us what the Lord tells Moses. Keep in mind, the Lord has just delivered them from Israel, uh, from Egypt, right? Our homeland, right? Where we enslaved the Jews. And they've miraculously crossed through the Red Sea. They've had a pillar of light by day, uh, by night, actually, right? And this cloud by day leading them. This, this is miraculous, right? They've crossed. Moses has climbed the mountain to be face with God. God is delivering him the covenant. And what is God telling Moses? Um, your crew down at the bottom of the mountain, they're making a golden calf and calling it God, right? They, they just were delivered, <laughs> Right? This isn't like 20 years ago and they forgot. It's not even a year ago and they forgot. It's like we just crossed and we're building a gold cap and we're saying, and, this, and they would say, this is our God. This is the God who delivered us. How often has God done something in your life and you within no time treat him like a stranger? Or worse, going along with the enemy that he delivered you from. Idolatry is like cheating on your spouse. Is saying that this object or this person is worthy of my adoration more than my spouse, right? More than the one that I'm, that I'm for. God has saved them from the Egyptians who worshipped false gods and enslaved them. And the first thing that the Israelites do after it is say, let's worship the gods like the Egyptians. Who cares if my husband just saved me? I like my abusive ex better. That's what they're saying. Right? This is what our actions mean when we're, when we're doing that. It's ungrateful, it's cruel, and it's, 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 it's tragic. But we get feistier. When we see the Jews as we approach them in the ninth hour from the morning's readings, they come up to the Lord, and they, they look at him and they say, by what authority do you do these things? Which in modern English is saying, who do you think you are? Right, which is a great question. If they knew the answer to it, they might not have said it like that. Right? But we also flip we flip things upside down, not realizing how offensive we are being. Right? If you, it's like your husband bought a house for both of you and when he comes in from work and you find you're not there, ask you, Hey, where were you? Just just innocently. Just, where were you? And you respond, Who do you think you are to even ask me that? Right? It was like why why the hostility? Right? Why, why are you treating me like this? And to him, it's like, I, I thought I was your husband. 
right? That, that, that's all it was. Do you see it? Do you see that it starts so small? It always starts small, right? It rarely starts big. It sometimes does, but not usually. When we start to say yes to things that simply look good or look better than what we have, or not even better, just, just they look good, we open the door to the relationship starting to fail. We lose our sense of faithfulness, right? Our sense of loyalty. We've made loyalty optional, right? When a couple enters a relationship with the belief that they're supposed to be faithful to one another, then of course there are expectations, right? If one thinks loyalty or faithfulness is optional, then the relationship is already a ticking time bomb, right? How many of you would be willing to marry somebody who has already decided before marrying you that you're just here until I find someone better? Like, who, who rationally does that, right? When you've made faithfulness optional, that's what you're saying. So if you've accepted it, what does it say about the other person? And if you're doing it, what does it say about you? What does it say about me? But we all do that with God. We all do that, God, myself included. Right? All of us are unfaithful. So if we return to some themes from the evening, we'll see a couple of views of a wrong kind of complacency or a wrong kind of confidence that can cause us to get to that place. Because sometimes the relationship is starting to go bad without you necessarily doing something specifically crazy. Right? It's not always that there's something huge that we're doing that makes it go wrong. It's often the, the quieter ones that slip in that cause us to move. And the first is the complacency when, when everything just feels fine where you're at. And that's why the Lord said, strive to enter by the narrow gate. Strive to, to enter by the narrow door. Because, he says, a relationship takes work. And a relationship is about continually choosing one another. And choosing one another isn't easy. It's not a wide open door. Choosing one another is very hard. Right? Choosing someone else over myself is never an easy thing. When we're in times in relationship that require us to choose between us and the person with whom we're in relationship, our spouse is saying, I, I want to know that you'll choose me. When it's the world versus me, I want to know that you'll choose me. Right? Because you're my spouse. We chose each other. Right? This is, this is what he's, he's asking for us. And these people that are at the door wanting to get into the house and the story are saying, hey, open up. You know us. And he says, I don't know you actually at all. How, how, how would I know you? You don't do anything with me. You don't talk to me. You don't work with me. You don't choose me. You know nothing about me. I don't know you. Because this person has been complacent. They think that by being in proximity, just being close to each other, somehow we're good. No, that's not relationship. Right? And this is one of the places where relationships, especially I think many, many of you might wonder, like, what's wrong with my spiritual life? I wonder how many of us are here where we thought just proximity is okay. I go to the building, right? I, I did Pascha, I did my dues this year, right? I did my Christmas and my Easter. Right? It's like, I, I'm, I'm here, right? Where it's, is that relationship? Right, is that relationship? And for some it might be, but I'm just saying, but is it? Is it, is it a real one? We don't work, we don't strive, 
right? I don't, I don't know you, he says. How can I know you? How can I know you except by what you do? I'm going to know you by what you do. I don't magically know you by looking at you, right? I know you by our interactions. We don't interact, right? We become complacent. Be careful that we don't pretend you're in a relationship by just announcing it or saying it. It's not just doing something wrong. It's not just doing something wrong that can hurt a relationship. Doing nothing can as well. The other kind of issue that we see arising are two kinds of false confidences that we've seen in the readings tonight. And the first one I think is very, is maybe not as common these days. You might not relate to it as much. Some of the Jews felt confident in the relationship with God because they are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? Where they're like, oh, we're good. We're solid. Like, we, we come from these big shots. In other words, they're saying, he won't divorce me. My family is too important. Right? Um, it's like someone today marrying Obama's daughter, right? Or Prince Philip. And saying they'd be crazy to divorce me because don't they know who we are? Right? And if they did, they're lost. Right? They, they should know who I am. Right? It's a dumb confidence in general, but even dumber when the groom, forgive me, is Christ. Right? Because your family only meant something because of him. But because they were not really in real relationship, where they are excited about one another, it damages the quality, the quality of the relationship and makes the groom ask, how is this a relationship? Right? Is our relationship because of who your dad is? Like that, that's all it is to you? But the other one is one that I think we fall into a lot. And I think this one is one that probably we, we all struggle with to some extent, and you've probably complained about in your spiritual lives at one point or another. The Pharisees. I'm not going to spend a long time on the woe unto you scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. But the Pharisees felt very confident about the relationship with God. Why? Because they are doing all the right things. Right? So they're saying... We fast, we tithe, we pray, right? The, the Pharisees would even, um, they would sew coins onto the back of their clothes so that beggars could take money from it. But it's what Christ meant when he's saying, don't give publicly, because it would jingle, so the whole world knew they were passing by giving to the poor. But the intention of it was, so that I at least even give to the poor. So they're saying, we do everything right. Right? And yet, for some reason, Christ is blasting them, saying this is not a relationship. Because this is, again, a big struggle for us, when you reduce a relationship to ritual. Right? Imagine if you viewed friendship as, how do I, decide, how do I express that I'm in a relationship or friendship with someone? Um, we must talk X number of hours a week. We must text this number of times. Uh, these are how many times we should be meeting. These are how many times we should have food together. Um, and when I, when I say these things, the person better respond saying these things. If that's how you run your friendships, you're weird. Right? And if that's how you expect people to respond to you, then, then, then is that a real friendship? You're being like, no, I said this word. You didn't follow the script. Where, where was it? Right? Or I guess our friendship is in jeopardy because this week we spoke four times instead of seven. I guess we're not friends anymore. But that's what we're doing with God. Right? Like we're, we're reducing it to the ritual. I, I, I took communion. I confessed. I, I did matanyas. I fasted. What do you guys want from me? Right? Like... Why, why is this not good enough? We're saying, no, like, thank you, <laughs> right? I, I appreciate it. 
And it's not saying that ritual is wrong. There is no relationship, there's no culture, religious or not, that doesn't have ritual. Shaking hands is a ritual. Having dinner is a ritual. Graduation is a ritual. Everyone has rituals. It's just that the rituals are not the relationship. Right? Rituals give meaning to relationship. Rituals occur inside of a relationship. Rituals are not the relationship. And this is one I think we fall into all the time. Right? Socially, with God, with everybody. Right? We dress as a deacon. I attend Sunday school. And apparently... Right? And me and God are besties. But we can do whatever we want, but as long as we do these magical things, right, over on the side, somehow we're good. No, it isn't. And all of these, I'm wrapping up, I'm sorry I'm talking so much, all of these are what we see in the fig tree. Right? A lot of people get upset at the story of the fig tree, that the Lord comes to it, and it even explicitly says it wasn't the time for figs. Right? It makes God look unreasonable. Right? Because he says, there's, no, there's nothing on this. Right? And then he curses it. Right? He wanted to eat and, 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 and couldn't curse it. But all of these things that we're talking about, all these things are how we stand there and we act fluffy and leafy like we're full of fruit. It was not the season but the fig tree was looking like it was ripe with fruit. It was fake. It was presenting this outer image of fullness, this outer image of wealth, this outer image of security. All the stuff that we talked about was seen in the, in the fig tree. Pretending to be loyal, pretending to be happy, like we said about this, this spouse, is claiming to be a relationship expert when your relationship is falling apart. It's the guy who boosts that he's the best gamer or boarder, but knows nothing, and is suddenly on the stage in front of the world to show off what he's claimed. It's the day of the Lord, right? It's the day where your claims are confronted with reality, where there's a, a deep look of, you're boosting this. I'm here, I'm looking at you. What are you? Who are you? What's actually going on here? It's the day of the Lord and we're like that fig tree. We're pretending even out of season like we have fruit. We've been fronting. But our relationship for all those reasons has been insincere. Now we ask, doesn't the husband have the right to confront? Doesn't he have the right to walk away if he wants? And that's, that's what the readings are about today. That's the tone of those readings. We started this morning by talking about how good we had it, that all he wanted from us was love, all he gave to us was love, and we messed it up with our choices. But then we went wrong in all those places that we talked about, and our Lord lamented. And this framing story that I gave, I just stole it from God. It was the reading from this morning. My beloved has planted a vineyard, right? Where he sets the framing story and says, I, out of my goodwill, chose, and I hemmed, and I worked, and I trimmed, and I planted, and I groomed, and I protected it from everything in nature, and I protected it from our enemies, and I did everything that I could possibly do. And all I wanted from it was sweet grapes, right, that we can enjoy this wine together. And instead, she gave me wild, sour ones. 
And he says, I ask you, forget me. What would you do if you were me? Right? He asks that question to us. It's because of the cheating, the complacency that the Lord said early. You see him let loose this morning. He goes, write me up the bill of divorce. Write me up the bill of divorce. I can't. I can't take it. Isn't that his right? Isn't that his right? It is his right. But our Lord isn't like that. He says to us that it's his right. He says, anybody in my place would walk away. He even says, I'm going to walk away. And then he always comes back in the middle of it and says the opposite. In spite of our cheating on him, in spite of what we're doing to provoke him, he comes back. He's faithful when we're not. In the middle of all of these readings, in the middle of this, this, I'm so upset, what does he say? He says to the priest, comfort. Comfort my people. Comfort her, I forgive her. I withdrew myself from her and she fell apart. And I don't want to see her like that. I don't want that for her. It's okay. I love you. I'll fix it, even though it's not my fault. Even though I'm being cheated on, I'm still with and for you. So what's your part? What do you do to make things okay? How, how do we not have these issues? How can we make it that we not have these issues? I know I've spoken so long already, I'm sorry. But briefly, the readings say, by seeking rightness, care about right. Right? Don't care about you more. Care about right more. Don't care about how you feel first. Care about what's right first. Have whatever feelings you want. But care about what's right first. Because it's not a problem per se that what Eve saw looked good. That's not the problem. It's that she took it. If she just saw it as good and did nothing, there's no problem. Right? That's not what broke things down. She took it. By choosing right, by being faithful and loyal to our spouse means to know our spouse. I need to choose my spouse, right? I need to know how to choose them. It's far simpler than we might realize. Just love what's right. Seek understanding, love wisdom. That's what all the readings are about that we won't get into. It really is actually that simple. If you love what's right and you seek understanding, if that's what you're like, when a conflict emerges, you're going to be at peace because you want what's right. You're interested in hearing what's right. You want, you want to have peace because that's, that's your way of thinking. Now, if you've been listening, you might have missed the whole premise to this whole relationship. In the framing analogy, these two people are married. And one might say they agreed to the marriage. But what if they didn't? The Old Testament church made a covenant with God through Abraham, a marriage covenant, and he kept his covenant, their marriage through Abraham and their descendants. People were born into it and renewed their covenant with him. You entered into that marriage, the marriage agreement, when you were baptized. 
When you were held up and we said, I renounce you, Satan, I'm saying, I'm saying no to all other spouses. And we turn around and face the east and say, I marry you, Lord. Then we became married to Christ. Now you might be tempted to say, okay, but I didn't know yet then if I wanted to be in a covenant. And the truth is, you are allowed to walk away from it. The truth is, we already do. All the time. A better question would be, why would you? Why would you? You're married to the King of Kings. The one who is faithful. The one who, when you cheat on him, still pursues you. The one who hung on the tree of life for you. You say, I didn't know you then, then and got married. And he can say, well, before you even knew yourself, I died and gave myself up for you. Before you could breathe your first breath, I already knew your name and loved you. Before you knew life, I gave you life more abundantly. I know you. I love you. And even if you leave me, I will pursue you to the ends of the world. I will give myself up again and again only to have you be with me. I will hang myself on the tree of life so that you might live. We are married to love himself. To him be glory now and always to the age of all ages. Amen.